One of the things that I just find to be a lot of fun are misunderstandings. When, when people hold to something that they think, oh, it's this way, and it turns out that it's, it's not the case. Um, people know that you know, I have a background in math, and so people think I'm really good with numbers. My, my background is in theoretical number theory, and uh, if you want to know a lot about prime numbers in compositions of commutative polynomials, come talk to me. <laughs> Emily balances our checkbook. <laughs> it's a misunderstanding. Misunderstandings are a lot of fun. We're going to be in the book of Joshua. We're going to continue in Joshua today. And we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 2. And what I want you to be on the lookout for is four types of misunderstandings that we often have when it comes to God, when it comes to the spiritual life. So we're going to see four types of misunderstandings, and we're going to really work through those details. But before we go there, I want to remind you where we were at last week so that we can take what we talked about last week and, and really bring it into this week's conversation. So remember, in Joshua chapter 1, God provided assurance to his people that it was God who was running the show. That's what Joshua 1 is all about. The people are about to enter the promised land. Moses has left. He died. Joshua is in the driver's seat, or it might appear, and God says, no, God's in the driver's seat. Joshua's just along for the ride too. And that's Joshua chapter 1, is God says, I've got this. I'm the one who's in control. I'm the one who's managing this show. Well, at the banks of the Jordan River, once they cross, the first city that Israel will encounter is the city of Jericho. Jericho is about 14 miles west of the banks of the Jordan River, and it's a military fortress. It was a military fortress. We talk about it as the city of Jericho. We probably should call it Fort Jericho. There's probably not many people there who aren't military. In fact, I propose that there's really only one family there that's not military, and we're going to learn about them today. So Jericho, the fort, the big sort of elephant in the room. Yeah, Joshua, we're going to cross the Jordan River. What are we going to do about Jericho? And that's where we're going to pick up here in Joshua 2. So we're going to read this in sections, and we're going to start by reading Joshua chapter 2, and we'll go verses 1 through 3, so just a short portion. So read with me Joshua 2, verses 1 through 3. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the land. I want to give you a misnomer. So a misnomer is a type of misunderstanding. So when we substitute two nouns that aren't the same. Faith is not ignorance. So the misnomer is that faith is ignorance. That's not true. God does not expect us to be ignorant. 
No, he expects us to be faithful. Look at what happens there in Joshua 2, in those first three verses. Joshua, on the banks of the Jordan, well, in the city of Shittim, a little bit off of the banks of the Jordan, sends out two spies, and he gives them directions. He says, go and spy out, look over the land, especially Jericho. What had God commanded Joshua to do at the end of chapter 1? You can look in your Bibles. He gave Joshua a very specific command. Be strong and courageous. So the first thing Joshua does is send out two spies. I don't think this was wrong of Joshua. Because nothing in the text tells me that anybody was upset with Joshua for doing that. The last time Israel had sent out spies, what happened? The wheels fell off. Right? In Numbers 14. They failed to enter the land. This time, Joshua, I think, does things a little bit different. Look at what he does. He sends out two. He gives them specific directions. Go to Jericho. Basically, I think he's saying, we need to figure out how we're going to conquer this city. We're going to do this, so we need to figure out how. And look at, there's a key word. He sent them out secretly. Okay. Why do I call attention to the word secret? Because when spies go out, what is it by default that they do? Secretly. Right? So the fact that this is in the text, this is added information. It almost seems superfluous. Why include the word secret? It's already obvious. They're spies. I think it's because Joshua didn't even tell Israel he was sending them out. He kept this entirely under wraps. I want you to go and look, figure out what we're going to need to do. It's not go look and see if God's lying to us or go see if we can trust God. No, it's go out and just come back and tell me the details so that we can plan. Faith is not ignorance. God does not expect us to just be ignorant. He expects us to look at his plan. Participation with God requires that we do know some of the details. If you're going to participate in God's will, you need to know some of the details. There's good news. We have the details. Okay, it's a little bit of a long instruction manual. It takes the average person 53 hours to read through it. But you can read through it. If you read 10 to 15 minutes a day, you'll get through it in a year. You can do it. God wants us to know his details. Participation requires we know some of the details. But the other thing I want you to know is that sometimes participation looks dangerous. Sometimes participation with God will appear to be dangerous. Look what happens in verse 2. These secret spies fail at that part of the job. The king of all people gets wind of this. And the king raises an issue. Go get the spies. Bring out those men. We're going to figure out what's going on here. That looks dangerous. But I want you to see that God was still in this. He was still in control. And we'll see that in the next section. But before we do that, I want to throw out an application. I've told you faith is not in ignorance. God wanted Joshua to go figure out what was going on. Let me give you an application. Look for God's confirmations. 
I want to tell you about some confirmations, things that are, are kind of cool. Two weeks ago, we took a step of faith, and we said, we're going to give, and we're going to see how much, as a church, we can commit to giving towards remodeling this sanctuary. And Ryan's going to update you at the end of the service on some numbers. I want you to pay attention to those numbers, because God gets things dead on. It'll be fun for you to see that. Look for confirmations. People who step out in faith oftentimes get little hints of confirmation. Look for them. Read in your Bibles. Understand God's plan for you. All right, let's move forward. Let's move forward to verses 4 through 7. So we've got the spies. They're in the city. The king is asking questions. Not a good situation. But let's read on. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. I want to show you a misconception. So we started with a misnomer. Let me give you a misconception. I think sometimes we hold the conception that God needs me to be righteous in order to use me. That's a misconception. God can use anybody. God can use anybody. I want you to notice who God used. Rahab. How is Rahab described? It's the prostitute. Okay? Prostitute could mean innkeeper in Hebrew. But if we go to the New Testament, every time Rahab's mentioned in the New Testament, she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute, and the Greek word for prostitute there can only mean one thing, fornicator. God used a prostitute. But notice what else Rahab did. She wasn't just living in a life of sin. She blatantly lies to the people. God used a liar. So let me give you my summary of this. God used a prostitute. God used a liar. God can use you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. God can use you. Now, there's somewhat of an elephant in the room, so let's deal with it. Okay? What were the spies doing in the house of a prostitute? All right. First of all, the text says nothing about the spies having done anything wrong. In fact, in fact, we're going to see that Rahab is converted. My guess is that the spies were so proper in how they treated Rahab that she recognized these guys are different. 
these guys are worth me risking everything I have to be like them. Okay, so that's the first thing. I don't think the spies did anything immoral. The second thing is there's a reason that the Hebrew word for innkeeper, prostitute, is that our notion of hotels didn't exist. Inns served a primary purpose, and it wasn't for guests coming on a long trip. That's my understanding of the ancient world. That's why in the New Testament, Paul's like, set up a room for this person, because I don't want them staying in the hotel, because the hotel is not a place that you put up your pastor. The spies went to a natural place to find a room. And finally, if you are looking to remain anonymous, that's a pretty good place to remain anonymous. It's designed for anonymity. I think the spies were completely above board in their behavior, and Rahab noticed, but that is an elephant in the room. There is an absolute. Prostitution is wrong. I don't want there to be any questions about that. That's sin. Lying is sin. Nothing in the text says it was okay that she lied. Nothing in the text says that her job of being a prostitute was an okay job to have. What the text does say is that God used a sinner. God uses sinners. So what is my action step for you? Recognize that God can use you right now. Are there things that you need to clean up in your life? Absolutely. There's things I need to clean up in my life. God works with me on that. And he works in my heart. But that doesn't mean that he can't use me. God can use you no matter who you are. Don't let the misconception that God needs you to be righteous fool you. There's only one who's righteous, and that's Jesus. God needs you to be willing to be able to use you. All right, let's move forward. Verses 8 through 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, dried it up for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I want you to see a fallacy. So a fallacy is a, um, a false proposition, essentially, that people will believe. The fallacy is that outsiders never recognize the word of, uh, work of God. That's not true. People are watching. Those who are in Jericho, the Canaanites living in Jericho, recognized God was working. There's a lot of irony in this passage, in this section of Scripture. Israel left Egypt after the plagues, right? They crossed the Red Sea. They followed a pillar of fire by day 
or sorry, fire by night and cloud by day. God fed them in the wilderness, miraculously, manna from heaven. And the Israelites, time and time again, doubt God. Okay? These heathen Canaanites hear of these events. And what do they do? They melt in fear. Those in Jericho were watching, and they recognized that God was at work. The heathen citizens of Jericho show a confidence in God that's fantastic, amazing. Um, In verse 8, she says, I know that the Lord, in our translation says, has given you this land. In the Hebrew, Rahab uses a very specific construction of a, it's called a cal perfect. It is an event which happened in the past already. Rahab is saying, it's as good as done. There's no question here. I've seen this. God has given this to you. It's, we might as well throw the party now because it's over. Okay. When I graduated from high school, one of my, my close friends... He had his graduation party the night before graduation. I thought it was an awful big risk, but... (laughs) No, there are events that we can party before it actually happens because we know it's going to happen, right? That's that's the sort of thing that Rahab is saying here. This is a done deal. It's finished. It's wrapped up. Rahab also, though, didn't just recognize that God was working along with her people. She makes a profound statement. She says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. The Canaanites were polytheists. They believed in many gods, a god of the sky, a god of the land, a god of the rain, a god of this farm, a god of that mountain over there. Rahab makes a very profound statement. Your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. That's what we might call a merism. When you say here and all the way here, you also mean in everything in between. Rahab is saying, your God is the only God. God actually describes himself in several passages of Scripture as the God of heaven above and the earth below. It's a way that God had described himself. Rahab is adopting that. Rahab is admitting that that God is the God. This polytheist here has just become a monotheist, a worshiper of God. So what's the action step that we get out of this? I want you to realize that those around us are watching. We might not believe it, or there might be times where we don't act it, but we are being watched. As Christ followers, we are showing Christ to the world, whether we're doing it on purpose or not. So my advice is to do it on purpose because you'll do a better job. Because the world's watching us. So show them Christ. They want to see it, whether they know it or not. All right. Let me give you a fourth point with two verses. Let's read verses 12 and 13. This is Rahab speaking. She says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, 
that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Here's the error that unfortunately I think all too often we make. We believe that some people are just hopeless. Remember who Rahab was. She was a prostitute. She was a liar. And those are just the ones that we have written down. The list probably goes on because it goes on for each of us of the sins that we commit. But Rahab was not hopeless. She was not to be written off. Rahab asks for something fantastic. She asks for loyal love. The word that our Bible translates as kindness is the same word that we talked about last week when we talked about God's covenant love for his people, chesed, is the word that Rahab now used and says, please show me chesed. Show me God's covenant love. Show me God's loyal love. This sinner, this prostitute, this liar, has just turned the corner and is asking for God's love on her. There is nothing more beautiful than when a sinner turns to God. Because we serve the God who will accept a sinner. I want you to understand just how helpless or hopeless Rahab should have been. I told you that she was a liar. I told you that she was a prostitute. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I want you to read to you what God told Israel about the Canaanites in Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is Moses writing on behalf of God. Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. That's what God had told Israel ahead of time. That's who Rahab was a part of. Rahab was hopeless, destined for destruction. I'm going to give you a preview of what's coming next week. Rahab survives. She gets her wish. But I want you to understand that we are to never give up on someone whom God might redeem. God is in the process of redeeming people. Never give up. Hebrews 11.31 talks about Rahab. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. We should never give up 
Never give up on reaching the lost. God will use the lost. He's calling the lost to salvation. Rahab, by faith, saved the spies. We, who are Christ followers, have by faith accepted that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again three days later, and that faith that Jesus paid the price for sin, that's what saves us. It's still faith. The same faith in God that saves us from sin, saved Rahab out of her sin, saves us out of our sin. And it can save those we know out of their sin. Today we're going to celebrate baptism. Baptism is a symbol of steps of faith. It represents somebody acknowledging, telling the world that they have accepted that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that because of that death of Jesus, they can be fully righteous before God, no matter what their past is. What a beautiful picture Rahab gives of redemption available to each of us. We're going to talk more about Rahab next week. There's some really cool stuff in her story. We already got through some really cool stuff. Rahab as an image of what God can do in redeeming each of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love each of us regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done, and that you're in the process of redeeming. I thank you that you have redeemed me from sin. That 33 years ago, I trusted you as my Savior. I trusted that you died on the cross and paid for my sins. I pray that we would not give up hope on anybody, but rather that we would tell people the gospel, share the gospel. And if there's any even here today in this service who have not accepted Jesus' death on the cross for their sins, I pray that they would boldly ask for God's love on them, ask that you would save them from their sins and depend fully on Christ. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us. We pray that you would help us to walk closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen.